As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to Verum Fabula Fellowship Podcast. I'm Wes Mullins. And I'm Randy Hardman, and we will be your hosts today. It is our goal to bring you content that cultivates and enriches your daily interactions and encourages the refinement of character and intellect. The terrain we cover ranges from literature to philosophy to theology. It is our hope that through these lenses we can offer insight to the human experience and the human condition that is empowering and transformative. Verum Fabula Fellowship is located in the beautiful town of Wilmore, Kentucky, and the podcast takes place at Drinkling's Roastery on Main Street. This is also where the fellowship meets regularly and where members are encouraged to present new thoughts and ideas, engage with interesting and important topics in discussion seminars, and interact with and listen to keynote speakers invited in to challenge us intellectually and spiritually. It is a true intellectual collective. Please rate this podcast on iTunes, and if we've said things that are helpful, be sure to tell your Lewis and Tolkien friends about us. With no more ado, here we go. Further up and further in. All right, everybody. This is Wes Mullins and Randy Hardman. And we are here with Baron Fabula Fellowship Podcast. This is more of what we call the Jack and Baron Show, where Randy and I, the co-founders of Baron Fabula Fellowship, get together and just kind of riff on uh, daily life, uh, Jack and Baron. Also, we go over some of the stuff that maybe we could concentrate a little more on mm-hmm. with uh, the meetings we have on on Mondays. There might be something that we didn't get to talk about, or we, we feel like was really more important, and we'll go into more depth on it. There's always something after you've solved the world's problems, you have to go back and debrief the next day. Yes, so yeah. that's what that's what we're doing here. We're, this is the debrief. This is the, the we're walking it back and breaking it down for you. So the uh, transposition is, is turned into be one of the longest essays that we're going through. It's just... We have five weeks now? Yeah, this, this is four, it's four weeks. Four weeks, and, four weeks. We're going into the fifth going week. Going into the fifth week. And so uh, what we're going to do is we're just going to... The next podcast for the group is just going to be... We're going to take out the highlights of the last three or four paragraphs and just hit some, some highlight stuff um, instead of going line by line. We did that with a couple essays and it worked out really well. Yeah. This one is not. <laughs> I think it's great, though, because, <clears throat> number one, it just shows that every, every, every reading, every piece of literature is going to hit people differently. I mean, mm-hmm. there are some things that we have just kind of just been able to get through quickly. You know, we move on to the next thing. But this is obviously resonating well yeah. with individuals. And there is something very important about being able to read slow, you know, and to really I, yes. just take 
a month and a half to two months to really just read an essay, you know, and just really let it sit. So I don't, I don't feel I mean, we definitely need to end it, but but I yeah. think it has been good. Oh, it, absolutely! Just watching people come alive when they hear something or read, and, and well, so one of the things that I found is I'll read Lewis's first paragraph, and I've read this essay many times, but I'll reread it and I'll, I'll read the first paragraph, and I'll go into the side to make my comments. And I'll go into this whole big comment thing, and then then I'll finish the rest of the paragraph, and it's basically what I just wrote down. Oh yeah. It's like oh, it's it follows logically that this was going to be where he was going to go, but I was just getting my thoughts out in that one second, and then I go read the rest. It's like he already got the thoughts out. <laughs> oh yeah. He had those already. Well, and that's I mean that's one of those things is when you read slow and you read things over and over and over again, you realize that they start to become a part of you. You know, yes. and that's what that's what Lewis. I'm I'm just now starting to recognize that this is what Lewis meant when he said reading well you know Mm. it's not that you read you know when people talk about you know i read well or i'm well read or something like that sometimes we think in terms of broadness but think about how many times you've gone back to a book that you you read and you realize you don't remember a thing from this book you don't Mm. remember a thing from this essay it just seemed to go in one ear and out the other and i think the beautiful thing about reading slow and reading things over and over again is that they're going to stick with you and so your thoughts now have kind of just been developed and nurtured by by how important this essay has been to you oh yeah absolutely and i think that's that's beautiful on because lewis there was there was a, a guy donald glover who's a c.s lewis scholar and he writes about lewis's uh, critical theory uh, literary theory and and he says lewis kept saying you need to be a good reader and a good writer he's like but he doesn't give us any definitions on what being a good reader is yeah but I think I think you've kind of hit it there that it's well he does in his his experiment of literary yes. criticism where he actually defines this is what I mean by being well read and I think he specifically says you want to pick ten to twelve books that right. you're just going to read over and over and over again in your life but that's not enough criteria for Donald Glover he wants True. specific one two three points and Lewis is like how does it hit you yeah. does it speak to your soul is it something you can't those they're they're not quantifiable by literary criticism critics yeah. <clears throat> and so but I agree when you when you read Lewis you and he says there should be something transcendent about this it should there should be an atmosphere around it that allows you to let the watchful dragon take a break and then you get to wrestle with these ideas that's someone who's a good writer right well you can't quantify that you can't say well if you do these five things you will you'll create this atmosphere that's not how it works right and that frustrates some of the literary critics. Because yeah, literary critics don't. <clears throat> they they either love or they hate Lewis. So. Yes, <laughs> just part part and parcel of uh, uh, of, of being a liter- you know being a literary critic alongside Lewis. You either like him or don't. He, he said it was funny because he actually said uh, Lewis's literary criticism doesn't work for <clears throat> anybody but Lewis's writings. Mm-hmm. It does, but it was his way of saying Lewis just gave you a, a, a legend on how to, to read him, You're right. a key. Um, well, and thankfully we have that, so. so. Absolutely. So something that uh, I wanted to bring up that uh, Caitlin said last night, and I thought it was fantastic, but she was talking about that, how she thinks this thing of you saying the, the flip side of the same coin, she's, she, that's, that stuck with her, and she's like, I think weight of glory and transposition on the flip side of the same coin that both of them are expressing the limited nature of humanity and being able to interact with God or a higher a higher medium 
But weight of glory seems to be more hopeful than you hear and your heart's full of joy because you have this God saying, you couldn't handle my weight because you're so limited. You couldn't handle my glory. It would crush you. Right. And this one is, you can't understand things because you're limited in your knowledge and you're going to miss it every time. And it's going to be really difficult to get in. It's frustrating. Oh, yeah. that's. I mean, that, that has been my feeling with transposition, uh, really up until the end. The end, it kind of changes some things, but it has been kind of a frustrating <laughs> read, whereas Weight of Glory, definitely, it felt it felt more kind of classic C.S. Lewis-y, you know, yeah. like uh, you're seeing things from the top down, you're, you're you know, but, but transposition has been more of just like a, not only just trying to understand what he's referring to, but just trying to think is there a, can I get past this right and it's just <clears throat> at a very existential level his his answer is no right. you can't you know and that just that's just that's frustrating it's different than the way to glory you can't get there but you but you need to try to get there because the the, the closer you can get there is it's it's a priority of information right and, and so if you can the closer you can get to truth you won't get to absolute right but as close as you can get to the most objective thing that you can say, this is the closest that we can get, then your your perspective in the lower medium is going to be more clear. Do you think we should define transposition again just for the sake of, number one, repetition, but anybody else who might be chiming in on this right. episode who are yeah. lost? Well, go ahead and, and uh, I'll fill in some cracks if there are any. So I think I think Lewis in his in this essay on transposition is kind of wrestling. He starts off talking about speaking in tongues and basically, you know, so weird. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a weird place to start. But he's using this as an example of, you know, uh, people will come to to certain uh, elements of human expression and they want to reduce them down to other expressions right so you know because we have people and this is true you know we have people who go off and speaking in tongues and it's just mumbo jumbo you can you can map it neurologically you know it's it's it ends up just being gibberish i mean you see this all the time in cults and mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff his his argument is you know skeptics will come in and they'll say if 90% of us is this way 10% of it is as well and lewis is kind of wrestling with the idea that you know are there exceptions in the ways that we experience things so that they're right. not all reduced down to the same base experience? And so just kind of, you know, taking that and broadening that out to um, you know, broader theological concepts, broader theological ideas of how does God work through human expressions? Um, so what we will see as just human humanity, we'll see as natural, we'll see as... Psychological, we'll see as you know, phys- physiological, we'll see it maybe even as things like you know, when we're talking miracles and stuff like that, as just coincidence. He's saying, you know, there, there are, we can always reduce something. We can always reduce these things and find explanations for them well, that, that, that are just natural. And so he even brings out the whole, you know, Occam's razor, and you know, yeah, that's yes. what people will will respond on. But, um, but then he kind of wrestles with, you know, he gives the example of, I think anguish and joy oftentimes exhibiting the same just kind of sensational feelings in the human body and yet those are two very different feelings but yet we experience them the same way we would never say that anguish is the same thing as joy and so to have
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply this one-to-one correlation on one thing and another just because it looks the same because yeah. it senses because the sensation is the same that 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 just doesn't answer the so the he, problem. Point, he points to religious language saying well you you speak of crowns and thrones and kingdoms right. and most of your language about having an encounter with god is it can be used in, in sensual or sexual language right so therefore it's just all earthly it's all constructed in your mind and there is no religious Thing because it's you're, if everything you're using is being, can be described in a physical realm, then that's all that there is. It's yep. physical. Yep. There is no spiritual. But Lewis is like, well, no, there's that one to one doesn't work because if you take take love for example, love can be made. I love bourbon or I love coffee. I love my wife. Right. They, it's not a one to one correlation. There, there's a difference in there. So he's, he's, so he brings up this thing. If you have language and you have 20 vowel sounds, but you only have five symbols. Right. Then, therefore, logically, each each symbol has to have more than one vowel sound to it. And so he's saying that transpositionally, if something's coming from a higher medium to a lower medium, you're not going to get a one-to-one correlation. There's going to be something lacking in some physical thing that you have on Earth. Some symbol you have is going to have to have more than one value to it. Right. And so that's the basic premise behind this. And once you see that... You really can't unsee it. Oh yeah, I mean the the argue the the analogy of an orchestra being reduced to a piano. Yes. You know, and then you know having the person who has never actually ever experienced what an orchestra is, they don't know what all these other instruments is, and they say, "Well, I've just heard this on the piano, therefore that this is all that this is." Yeah. Is just you know. No other or, no other instruments exist. No other instruments exist, and and the point of the the point of the believer is to to. You know, or the point of being human is to open yourself up to the reality that there may be things that truly exist beyond kind of the the ways that they have been reduced, you know, to, to our understanding. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, what I love is no matter what argument Lewis poses, even this is 1949 when he wrote this, so he hadn't written Narnia, he hadn't written other things, but yet, if you you pull a thread in Narnia, and it, it'll pucker in transposition, and mere Christianity. He says, he also has this, the argument for desire. If I have a desire on this earth, it cannot be satisfied in this world. It must be that I was meant for another world. And what he's saying is you have have a sexual desire, you have hunger, you have thirst, you have uh, rest. You have all these desires, and they can all be satisfied. But then you have this deep longing inside of you for more, and, and, and... Immortality, and you have all these deep desires for even greater and, and, and 
and nothing on earth can satisfy this. Well, it's logically follows that there is more. Right. That maybe I was meant for more. Maybe maybe this is not the end. And so um, it's it doesn't get you to the Christian God. It doesn't get you anywhere but this transpositional understanding that, that there's a higher medium and that transpositionally I can't see it because I'm I'm a two-dimensional character. I can't see the third dimension. Right. But the third dimension can come into the second dimension and say, hey, there's more. Yeah. Um, and so he pulls up a piece of paper and says, this is the right angle. And you know, you're like, well, here's this drawing. It's like, this is the right angle. It's, no, this is the road. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you're like, well, no, <coughs> well, it, it has, to, has to have a deeper value. Yeah, I thought about I, th- I thought about uh, the the image that kept coming to mind is you know I'm not a drawer right but but probably the last time that I really like tried to be a drawer right. was in you know middle school or high school sure, sure. and I just could not get those lines to like work you know they always went across but I was always impressed by the people that could manage to take you know tr- to draw building lines mm-hmm. or something like that but at one level all you were doing is drawing lines <clears throat> and if you just if that's all that you see if, you, if that's all that you're it's reduced to then you'll never actually see what is actually created in the in in the in the picture and that it's like if you could get inside the picture you would understand that that this is not at all mm-hmm. lines you know i mean yeah. lines are what is is lines are what are used to construct this experience but it is not the whole of it at all. You know, I mean, it's like, again, like focusing on the trees, you know, missing the forest in that. And that's yeah. it's a lot of, I think, what he's after here is like we need to be creatures who are able to get beyond the lines, get beyond the reductionist levels of human experience and recognize that sometimes things are constructed in a way if we don't see beyond the constructions, we're going to miss the bigger right. portrait that's developed. And that, that gets into the whole argument of atheism and yeah. reductions and naturalism. And as I was, as I was thinking last night when uh, reading Transmission, we were talking about it, that you're, he's going to talk, the next part he's going to talk about the brain. He's going to talk about the brain and uh, your mind right. and, how, and how they're different. So naturalism says that your brain... Uh, came about by one of two things, by chance right. or by random processes. Right. And what he's going to say is, if your brain came to that conclusion, there would be no way that your brain could come to understand that it was by chance or by randomness. Right. Because randomness has no order. Right. The only way to come to conclusions, logical conclusions of things, is if there is an ordered process and a priority of information that something is a higher value than something else, something has a... Something in its proper place actually means something different, and so in order for you to for your brain to come to the conclusion, ah, oh, this is an illusion, or um, I'm, I, I'm involved by random processes. One, you couldn't trust it, but the other is if it was actually true, it actually takes away the argument that it's random. Right. It's, self, it's self-defeating. It's self-defeating. Self-defeating. And, and this so, is an argument that Lewis uses all of the time. He uses yes. mere Christianity. Yeah. I've just been reading some God in the Dock, and he comes back to this as well. And this is his basic, this is his, one of his basic re- rejections of naturalism, mm-hmm. is just to say it's self-defeating. If it's all chemical properties, or if it's all deterministic, there's no, there's no reason for us to actually trust it, to have faith in it, you know? Well, the other one I love is when he says that if the universe has no meaning, we should never come to know that it had no meaning. Yeah. Like a creature being born blind, coming to understand such a thing as dark. Right. Logically, there's no way to come to that conclusion. Well, and that's where I respect the, the nihilistic philosophers for at least yeah. being consistent. Yes, on exactly. That. Like, you know, yeah, we, 
we are nothing and we're going we're gonna to end up that. Um, and the other one, so I, I really think, too, if we go back to uh, something he says, uh, so you think, think that you're talking about drawing lines on the paper, and they're saying, no, this, this is a road, this is all there is, and the reductionist says, no, this is it on this piece of paper. It's very similar to what Lewis says. You have the guy in the insane asylum who scrawls darkness on the wall of a cell expecting it to blot out the sun. Right. It's like the guy drawing the line on the paper, he can't even draw a line on the paper unless there is actually a road, unless there is a sun, unless yeah, these things yeah, exist, yeah. Unless, unless he has the external world beyond the medium that he's, he's, draw, he's transpositionally taking his information, his interpretation, drawing on a page and going, this transpositional thing is the only thing that exists. Yeah, yeah. But he can't do it without the... The higher medium around him. Yeah, if you never, if you've never seen a road before, there's no way in the world that you would actually draw a road and describe it as a road. It would just be lines. It would be just. A and so this is this is in some sense where I don't know. Maybe he kind of even flirts with presuppositionalism at this point. You know, where it's right. like you almost need to experience this and understand this and have this vision of things right. before you can actually truly see it. Yeah, I mean, presuppositional apologetics it, it has its place. I mean, it's. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of Teal, but you know. No, uh, I, I listened to, to Bonson, of, you know, early on, and it, it's like, okay, I, I can see where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, and last night I talked a little bit about this is why, for me, I think the strongest argument for the uh, existence of God is the ontological argument. Right. It's impregnable. Once you. Once you accept and say that the first premise is correct that uh, if it's if it's possible God to exist the greatest possible being if it's possible that he exists right if it's a possibility then it's it's a fact and yeah the way the way the argument goes out and I explained it last night I won't do that again but it's it's a misunderstood argument once you understand it transpositionally you look at it and you go it now, again, these arguments that I'm talking about don't get you to a Christian God. Right. What they get you to is an understanding of, okay, there's more. It's transcendence. Yes. Theism. What is more? Oh, well, there's a, a, there's a, there's a, uh, a being above all beings, okay? And then, and then you, once you, again, it's priority information. Once you set in place these understandings, then by the time you get down to the end, you're going, well, there is a God. Okay, what, what would he be like? And then you get the point of Okay, so it appears that the Christian God makes the most logical sense. And that's what Lewis does in Abolition of Man. He says, oh, there's a moral law. Okay. Epistemologically, everybody comes to the understanding there's a moral law. If you don't think there's a moral law, society's not going to flourish. It's going to fall apart. The only way for society to flourish is everyone to come to understanding there's a transcendent moral law. Right. All great religions, all great societies have this. Epistemologically. Now, you have to anchor that to an ontological truth. And which one hits? Buddhism, Hinduism, which one hits more solid? It hits more solid in Christianity. Right. And that's a, that's a strong, and you go, that's a justified true belief at that point, because you can anchor that epistemology to an ontology. You're like, okay, that's, that's secure. We, we encourage people to go look up the ontological <laughs> argument. Yes, <laughs> but, but do But do look it up. Uh, yeah. don't, 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 don't be satisfied with kind of cursory explanations yeah, I or arguments it. for or against this because it is a very difficult argument. It is a very difficult once you, But once you kind of get ontology, you'll, you'll yeah. get it. It's, it took me for, it, it actually took me probably two years to understand the difference between ontological and epistemological. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Oh, I'm convinced most apologists don't understand the ontological argument. We settle so for the Kalam. Yeah, right, Kalam, that's an easy one. But there, but there are. I mean, when you look at like Plantinga and Swinburne and stuff like that, you know, some of these, some of our best Christian philosophers, they do land on the importance of ontology, not only for evidence for God, but also for living living life. Yeah, and, I, and, I, and that's where I think this this is beautiful because I think Lewis is, is pointing to evidences to not accept a reductionist worldview, but he's also connecting this with the importance of, of living life this way, um, not yeah. not being reduced to to just what we have simply experienced here, and not being able to look beyond this and recognize that there there are things that that. Um, just like a child, right? Like you just until you've encountered it, you'll never be able to see see it this way. Um, you'll always you'll kind of always be stuck yeah. in and, a way so where that's you why are. Hey, we talk about it, if you see a tree in mythology, when you go out and see a real tree, it becomes more real, right? Because you get a deeper, richer um, understanding of that. Yeah. So we've got uh, we have uh, transposition wrapping up. At the end of the week, and you, you and you just tell it by Randy and I and are talking right now how deep this can go and how how much you can keep going on this. Oh, I'm excited. Next week, we kind of hit the resurrection and and you know what how this connects with Christian hope in particular, which is where he's kind of been aiming at this whole time. Yeah, it's been frustrating to kind of <laughs> get through, but but I think that this was. Uh, especially next week, just uh, he takes his. Like, you're, you're right. He take. He, he's a slow writer too. He takes his time. He doesn't. He doesn't push it. I remember reading in Mere Christianity. He's like, now before you make the the mental leap that I'm talking about the Christian God, you need to slow down. Yeah. I'm not even there yet. <laughs> I'm not even close. We're still. We're still laying the foundation. Yeah. 
And, it, and it's good because it gives you a chance to breathe and rest and go, well, let me wrestle with this for a second. Right. I, don't, I, don't, I don't have to accept it. Like somebody don't accept, like I said, my cursory explanation of ontological argument. Go wrestle it. Grab it for yourself. Because then once you get it, uh, that, this whole thing, this whole thing about the VFF and, uh, and what we're doing here is for you as a, as a listener to go, okay, let's see if there's something more. Let me wrestle this out. I can't be content to be a reductionist because see, a re- if you believe that this is all there is in existentialism and reductionism, you do yourself a disservice because every, every knowledge base that we have points to more. Right. We can't even understand knowledge bases unless we understand there's more. There's communication. I think, Brandy, you and I were talking about this just, uh, before we got on the podcast about sensory uh, understanding and pointing to afterlife and possibilities of becoming more. That there, that in order for us to even have an understanding of what we're talking about, there has to be more. I'm using language right now, so I have a thought in my mind, and I'm able to think. So think about this. I can think about a metaphysical being of which there is no greater possibility of a being existing. There's nothing on this earth, scientific or, or sensory, that should allow me to have a thought like that. Yeah. There's nothing I've experienced, there's nothing on this world that says I can even understand eternality or immortality. I, I don't experience it. So right. how could I come to that conclusion unless there was something trans- you know, uh, transcending that I can actually tap into. There's some sort of, my consciousness allows me to go beyond the bounds of a reductionistic, uh, naturalistic framework. Right. I can, with my mind, escape that framework, which is an evidence that there's more. Right. And so, um, and you were talking about the, the senses, that what those senses might be like. Yeah, I mean, I think Lewis, Lewis kind of touches on this in talking about transposition, but... You know, um, I've I've spent a lot of time just kind of thinking through the ways the reality. You know, when we talk about experiencing reality, we talk about experiencing reality through senses, right? Um, that you got touch, you got smell, you got taste, you got hearing. You know, you got we got our five senses. Bruce Willis, you know, that kid, you got six, right? <laughs> Is that you know we have we have five five sensations by which we. Um, are able to know what reality is, you know. Um, it's one of the reasons we value like touch. If you can't touch it, maybe it doesn't. If you can't hear it, you know, maybe it's in, maybe it's illusionary. If you can't, if it's not, if you can't truly see it, you know, maybe it's not really there. But I think when you look at not only when you look at like scripture, right, and some of the the more spiritual writings throughout history that we truly value but even when we're looking at things like poetry right or music um we are tapping into the fact that there are other ways to hear that there are other ways to see that there are other ways to touch um there are other ways to taste right we talk about you know um you know uh, tasting, we're you know we're talking about tasting something in a very poetic way. We're not literally talking about tasting you know love or tasting you know some, something like that, tasting freedom, right? But we use that kind of language because we recognize that there are other ways of experiencing um, reality. And I think one of the one of the arguments for really the the restoration of Christianity is that when we talk about people 
going beyond this world into into heaven is that we still use the language of touching, hearing, seeing, tasting, you know, speaking. Um, and a lot of us have experienced this, you know, with, with the passing of, of somebody that we love is that we continue to still hear them. It's not just a memory, but that we continue to still experience them in some way. And I think with that, we have to recognize that if scripture and our poets and our theologians and, you know, uh, those that really kind of touch the closest to something beyond our reductionist worldview, we have to recognize that that those beyond this particular life and into another life are also having sense, sensory experiences that are just very different. They're the complete op- maybe not the complete opposite, but but different than ours. And I think that's what's for me. It's just a matter of hope. Is that we when when Scripture talks about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth coming together, right? is that we, we're going to see a joining of, of our senses into something more than we, we have right now, which makes me feel, again, just when we're talking about transposition, it's like, oh, it's frustrating because, you know, I would love two ways to hear, two ways to speak, you know, two ways to feel, but we can't get there, you know, but, but yet they exist. We just have no idea what that looks like. Um, and just for me, that's just a, that's a hope. Yeah. You know, it's a hope thing. Well, I, I think, too, since since Christians hold that the, the Bible is the Word of God and God's self-expression to us, He hears. Yeah. He has emotions. He touches. Right. And, uh, and, and so you see that and you go, well, then those things transpositionally exist. Right. But it's not the touch that I that I touch with. Well, yeah. And I I mean, if you think about touch and sight and, you know, all of it, all it is, is, is about knowledge. It's about coming to know something is true. Um, not necessarily in a factual way, but very much in a relational way too. And so I think that that's, that's what it comes down to is that, you know, our senses here are confirming that we know something is true. We experience it. Yes. We build relationships with it. It is the same thing in a, in a world beyond ours that senses are about knowledge. <clears throat> They're about coming to build relationship. They're about coming to know the, the capital T truth of something. Um, and I think that that's, you know, when we talk about, when scripture talks about, you know, every, every tongue will confess, right? It's like, well, of course we will because our experiences will confirm for us when we have that new way of experiencing you things won't that be able not to. there won't be a way not to it'd be <laughs> like feeling a tree and 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 saying you this tree doesn't exist yes um uh, that's why i love uh in uh, the great divorce when the the angel says to one of the, the people from hell and says uh, in the great town he says oh there are there are no more questions there's only answers yeah That's what we've, we've longed for. We've longed for the answers. Um, now, if you fall in love with the questions only, then you've missed out on truth. You've yeah. missed out on, on, the, on the transpositional understanding. And you, you've reduced yourself down to, well, the question is the truth, or the question is the thing. Yeah. The question is the solid thing. The answer is elusive. So the question is a solid. But when we transpositional understand that, no, the question wasn't anything, because once you have the answers... No questions. Yeah. You just then know and get to be in a relationship, as you said, with the truth. Uh, before we go today, I just I just had a question because 
Uh, some of our listeners and even some of the people uh, part of the group and, and things, Lewis speaks to us differently, Tolkien speaks to us differently. And so uh, when we got this started, one of the first things you said to me was like, I'm a Tolkien guy. Yeah, and I was like, "Well, I'm a Lewis guy, so this this could work out." With shared with shared overlap yeah. there, you know, we, Lewis we, and Tolkien have yeah. such deep overlap. You can't really be a fan of one and not be be a fan of the other. Right. Well, I guess they exist, but so yeah, <laughs> they do. Yeah, I've heard some people say, you know, that Narnia was trash and Lord of the Rings is the most amazing thing ever. And you go, ah. um, but so what like, is it like Tolkien? Like Tolkien, who like said that? Yes. <laughs> so, uh, so what is this uh, specifically about? Tolkien's style or Tolkien's message that really resonates with you over over Lewis. Yeah, um, it'll be, it'll be fun to kind of like post, switch this question around on you next week and, okay. and ask you kind of the same question about right. Lewis Lewis over Tolkien. But uh, that answer has changed throughout my life. Um, you know, I think one of the things that Tolkien has over Lewis for certain individuals is that he has a, a deeper respect for the journey. Um, and I think this is why, you know, even amongst the Tolkien, you know, the Lord of the Rings, Middle Earth community, everybody prefers Lord of the Rings over the Hobbit. It's just true. You know, (laughs) I even watched Stephen Colbert the other day, you know, and said something about like, eh, the Hobbit, eh, you know, Lord of the Rings is where it's at. And, uh, and I, and I think, um, you know, I think I mean, even from even from extrapolating these these quotes of not all who wander are lost as being like typical Tolkien. Now, I think people um, I think people oftentimes take that particular quote and it doesn't mean what it what it says. I mean, the the real quote is you know not all who, uh, all that is gold does not glitter. Not all who wander are lost. The old the strong the old that is strong does not wither. Um, the deep roots are not reached by the frost, right? Which is, which is something very different yes. than not all who wander are lost, which seems to like romanticize just the continual journey for something. The point is like, mm-hmm. yes, not all who wander are lost, but you need to have deep roots. You need to have security. You need to have some sort of ground, some sort of foundation. And even in Tolkien's whole literature, like, yes, there is wandering, there is journey, but there's always a journey in a particular direction. There is always some sort of purpose that's there. And so... I think for those who are wanderers in life, and that is that is me. Um, I am a I am on the Enneagram a Bohemian, even by name. Uh, there's something beautiful about that. Lewis is great because he 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 had he had wandered, but he he he's an apologist where Tolkien wasn't. You know, he keeps coming down to. Here's the answers. Here's the answers. Here's the answers. Yeah, we're going to wrestle with them, but at the end of the day, there's there's more there's more theology. Um, yeah, there's not more theology. There's more like just apologetics in him than Lewis. And Lewis was just not, or Tolkien was not a big fan of apologetics necessarily. So I think for that, <clears throat> like that kind of as a as a teenager recognizing that I was going to be a wanderer, I was attracted to, to Tolkien stuff. Later on in life, I think I've also seen amongst people that are true lovers of Tolkien, most of them are wounded in very deep ways, um, or at least a lot of that whole realm is wounded. And 
I think that is also what attracts me to certain things in Lewis is that he also is wounded and he speaks to that at certain points. You know, the magician's nephew when he talks about the tree yeah. and bringing the apple back and you recognize that Lewis is is wrestling with losing his mother in yeah. that. And that for me is like one of the highest points of uh, Lewisian literature is that you see something in him asking this question that will never go away. It is the question that will just follow him through the rest of his life. So why grief observed is so important for me because he's asking questions that will never go away and they just seem very different than the problem of pain where he's got a lot of answers to this. And <laughs> yeah. And so I think that's just for me it's like I have experienced loss and woundings um like Frodo yeah. that will just continue to stay with you through the rest of your life. Um, very much like Jacob and being, you know, wrestling with God and being, having his hip, you know, wounded and, and carrying a limp through the rest of his life. Certain people find that in, in Tolkien. That was a long answer to that, but. No, that was a beautiful answer to that. That was, that was very, very rich. And I, and I will point out, like, you don't see that just in Lord of the Rings. You see this actually in all of the. The more recent publications. Um, this is why I love *Children of Huron*. It is a tragedy. Um, this is why the story of Calervo, uh, his kind of readaptation from I think it's a Finnish uh, story, is is a beautiful story. This is where you see this in *Fall of Gondolin*, which is very much a tragedy. And there's always these sparks of hope that are in there, but he is continually wrestling with loss um, in those in those stories. Baron and Luthien as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. The tragedy of Lewis does not focus on the tragedy. No, not usually. Not usually. Uh, he, they, he doesn't speak of the war. He doesn't speak of many things. Uh, he, after Group Observed, he really didn't speak about joy. Right. Um, and, I, and I think you know, Lewis's hope um, is, is in helping people find solutions and answers. Right. And like you say, in Tolkien's is giving people a place to wrestle. Yeah. Tolkien is the existentialist. Yeah. Uh, uh, Lewis is the rationalist. <laughs> yeah. I think that's... Uh, and, I, and I appreciate both. I don't think you should have one without the other. And, and I don't think either one was fully one without anything of the other. It's just one highlights one in their writings over the other. So. And that's a great way to uh, end today. It was fantastic. Um, because that that is that is that is understanding literature that moves you. That's understanding why you read it. So you've read well. Yeah, you got to identify with it, and those are the yeah. things that stick with you. Oh man! All right, so I'll be ready to answer my question next week on that, and we're going to hit transposition. Why, why you per- prefer the Twilight series over over yes. Narnia? <laughs> I know there's a there's a secret there's a secret yeah, thing going on, man. That's uh, yeah, the Hunger Games, uh, any any uh, Divergent series, you know, <laughs> all those are. Uh, it's a big Robert, Robert Pattinson fan. Yes, I, am, West. Uh, I was team team uh, Edward all the way. <laughs> I, I don't say I hate it. my wife got me watching those movies. Oh my gosh! Uh, I the first one was okay, and then the other ones I just I, I didn't like them as. I won't say I hated them, but they were, they were entertaining. But they didn't have enough substance to ask questions that were... I, I kept asking questions like, what? 
This doesn't make any sense. It, the whole thing didn't make any sense. So. I need to ask Nina some questions now that I know that she's uh, a fan of these. Well, I say a fan's a harsh word. Uh, she enjoyed the entertainment of the of the movie. She's never read the books. She enjoyed the entertainment of the movie. Okay. So. Well, that, as long as she's not a book reader. No, she she didn't read the the novels. Um, so yeah, it wasn't that there wasn't enough there for me to wrestle with. Yeah. And, and I like something that I can chew on and chew on and chew on and go back. Every time I go back to it, I wrestle a little bit more. There's a little something else that comes up. Honestly, this one of the reasons that this is this may come as a shock that I don't really enjoy Father Brown. Oh yeah, you've mentioned that before. Yeah, yeah. I, I know because my, my buddy Michael Ward loves. He thinks Father Brown's superior to Sherlock, and I just I, I've read the books and they, they don't hit me in the same way. Yeah, like I said, a lot of people, even in the Tolkien community, don't really care for the Hobbit. You know, yeah, you read so it once or twice, and you can kind of leave behind. Yeah, everything else I've read of Chesterton's is just it's fantastic. I will say, the man who was Thursday, I don't get it. Yeah, I, I, I love. I've that. never read it, but I love that it. it was so good. But I just go. I don't even know what to wrestle. <laughs> like it's, it's like because you start wrestling and then he jumps over here and does something else. You're like, wait, I, and then he's over here doing something. You're like, I, I don't know. It's, just, yeah, it's that old this. British literature way. So, all right, that's all for uh, Randy and Wes or Jack and Baron. We'll see you guys next week. Okay, take care. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.